Hello, thank you for tuning into the NCETM podcast. I'm Gwen Trezida, and today I'm talking to Hisham Al Hassan, a secondary maths teacher from Oxfordshire, and also um, head of Key Stage Five. Hello, Hisham. Hi. Hi, and thank you for being here today. This is the final episode in our mini-series that has documented primary and secondary teacher voices throughout the strangest period of most teachers' careers, first looking at how schools have provided for learning in lockdown, and more recently, how they've been managing having small numbers of students back in school. If you are reflecting on your provision of online learning, or thinking about how you might manage maths learning after the long period of school closure, then you can find all the episodes on our website. This conversation is recorded on Monday, July the 13th, the beginning of the final week of term for most parts of the country. Hisham has kindly agreed to talk to me between looking after his daughter and teaching online lessons. Hello, Hisham. Hey, Gwen. Hi. Thank you very much for being here. It's lovely to talk to you. Um, do you want to start off by just telling me what the what your last week of term is looking like for you? Um, it's it's a weird one. Um, it's it's all online, so the Year Twelves have something called virtual work experience, which which sounds wow. you know very odd <laughs> but um normally i'd be doing a lot of live lessons with them so actually it's, it's given me quite a lot of free time to you know finish off like little bits i wanted to finish off in my post um but i've also been saying goodbyes to a lot of my classes as well um which has been very bittersweet um yeah. something that you'd really want to do in person um but you know all that free time is, is not necessarily gone towards work. Um, it's gone towards my two-year-old daughter who's running around at the moment. Right, right. So so you're saying goodbye to your classes because you're leaving your school, that's right, isn't it? Yes, yes I am. Yeah. And going to a new school. Yes. So so when you were talking about um, teaching the uh, year 12s, um, have you, being director of Key Stage 5, have you mostly been um, teaching the sixth form or have you taught all the way through during lockdown um during lockdown i've kind of still retained responsibility for my classes my timetable this year was really heavy with key stage five um so i had a you know two periods of fortnight of top set year eights um i had um, pretty much the entirety of a middle set year nine class had a year 10 group a year 11 and then i had a year 12 a year 13 and year 13 further maths group during lockdown i've largely been doing a lot of remote setting of work from a lot of my classes so at the start of lockdown pretty much all classes were getting sort of asynchronous work so i was just uploading lots of instructions um, about hectic maths videos or something like that um and towards the end of lockdown particularly this half term i was um doing live lessons with all of the year 12 classes in fact i took on um the year 12 class on the other side of the year um doing their live lessons as well because um a colleague couldn't reliably make live lessons due to time right. so you started off with year 12 doing asynchronous non-live lessons and mm -hmm. how why did you move to synchronous then how how did you make that decision so that was uh, a decision made at kind of the slt level for the school mm. um um but to be honest even before that decision was made so the decision that slt made were was to um ensure that all your 12 lessons were provided live but even before that i was trying to you know do at least one a week of a live lesson and kind of i suppose the reason that i felt so important was because it's 
it's that contact with the kids. It's that ability to really kind of get in their heads in the moment and sort of give that kind of responsive teaching to a degree. Mm. Uh, and it's very difficult. Like anyone who's tried it, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's particularly difficult um, because I don't really want the cameras on. I don't feel I don't feel comfortable in that situation. So we right. don't know one has the cameras on. So I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, they are. They could be on their phone. They could be, you know, playing Spotify with the mic off. I don't know. But I found ways and techniques to get around that to really kind of check their understanding at each level and to get their engagement and buy-in. But yeah, it's it's that kind of that responsive nature to the lessons that you just really miss. And I think otherwise you risk it just becoming too detached. Like I'm this yeah. person on Mars, you know, like sending over instructions, like. Yeah. yeah. So, so what were those techniques that you used to, to, to get into their heads and to increase engagement? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think it's been interesting, really, because actually just been better teaching. Like, if I'm honest, like in, I think in the classroom environment, you can just tell so much by a facial expression or just the general atmosphere of a class. Like, if you get to the end of an end of a model or you ask a question, you go, any problems with that? And everyone just kind of looks at you kind of blank face. You know, there's probably some problems with that, but no one's going to tell you. you obviously, you don't have that. So you need to have kind of more formal structure to elicit it. So one thing I've done um, is I've, I'm using diagnostic questions, um, particularly off the Craig Barton diagnosticquestions.com website a lot. Um, really high in sort of the frequency which I'm using those questions. Um, and I'm, I've tried to develop a system where they have to give an answer, but they can't just copy the answer just before them. You know what I mean? So in the chat box, I basically get them to queue up um, their answer. So they get I give them like 30 seconds, maybe a minute to work on the question. And they go, OK, just have it in the have your answer in the chat box and then I'll count down and then we'll hit enter at the same time, which generally like, has worked really well. Actually, they've like I've used this. I used it with um, kind of all of the live groups I've taught and they all responded really well. And it's helped give me a really good insight into uh, like are they getting it um are they developing a misconception if so what misconception are they developing and i can sort of diagnose and take action kind of in the moment there yeah um yeah, so that, so that strikes me as working quite like mini whiteboards do you use mini whiteboards in class yeah so i use mini whiteboards a lot so that was definitely something i was missing in yeah. fact um something else i've start i just started using just towards the end um was the there's a website called dr frost maths um mm-hmm. And there's a brilliant um, feature on it, which is basically a mini, like a whiteboard, interactive whiteboard. But you send all the students a link and you can see everything they're doing on the whiteboard. So you get your screen is kind of like 16 whiteboards or something. So you can see what they're drawing. So you can give brilliant. them a task like, you know, sketch this curve. And then you can see exactly what they're doing, which replicates what mini whiteboards are doing in a lesson which is really nice um, so that I started using that as well. Oh, that sounds really interesting. So having made a success of that with your year 12s, what about your the younger students? Do you think it would work with them? And have you managed to do that with them? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. Um, so our year 10 provision is similar. Um, so as a school, we basically figured out that we were doing live like we were doing kind of online learning pretty well as a school um we were very tech savvy even before the lockdown right um so that really helped us transition to this and we decided that actually what we'll do rather than get loads and loads of year 10s in i mean we do have we are getting the year 10s in but instead of like really focusing on the on-site provision it's about improving the 
general kind of online provision that every student has okay. access to. Yeah. And so part of that was, okay, so every year 12 gets a live lesson. So all your 10s should have some sort of live lesson as well, some sort of live contact. And what we took that, what my head of maths um, sort of decided um, was that um, some of the lessons each week would be live. Um, I think it's I think it's one live lesson every week, like live taught lesson. Mm. But in all the other lessons your tens have, it's a there's a teacher on a Google Meet just like sitting there just in case they've got some questions they want to talk through. Right. Um, so anyway, through that, I, I've been teaching a couple of your 10 lessons and I've used all these techniques with them and they responded really well. Like they I, they find it. I think they find it um, quite low stakes. Like it's quite intimidating if only one person is to ha- ask a question. I think yeah, you don't want to yeah. be that person like asking a question. I think that's what they feel like. Um, but I think if everyone has to answer a question exactly at the same time, I think I think it's taking the pressure off a little bit, which is nice. Yeah, right. OK, so tell me about the last few weeks when um, year 10s and year 12s have been allowed to come back into school. I think your your school made a slightly different decisions, didn't they, about year 12s? Mm. Um, so can you just tell me about the the reasoning behind that decision and and what you are doing with the year tens and twelves? So um, yeah, so the school decided that year twelves were not to come back in. Like I mean, I think a couple have been invited in just to help with their you know structure. If they a couple I think have been quite open that they struggle with the structure of the day at home and they want that kind of at school kind of right. general kind of looking after a bit. Um, but most year twelves are just kind of at home doing the provision that I talked about before so they're getting live lessons every single lesson on their timetable as normal right okay and, and, and the school's able to provide a, a normal timetable are they the same number of lessons yeah so uh, it's, yeah. it's um I, the timetables haven't changed right okay um yeah so in, in, in some sense the timetables become a bit more flexible like you know I couldn't make so I took I mentioned that I took the year 12 class on from the other side of the year um and I noticed that one of the sort of time slots I couldn't I couldn't reliably make. So we actually moved it to a different time of that week. Okay. But because everyone's it's not like, you know, they're not off going partying or whatever. Like they're at home. So it's like, well, can you be there at three o'clock? And everyone's like, oh, I guess I can. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's been like that. Um, I think and you ask about kind of why that why we made the decision that was. Um, and, and the sort of understanding that I got from. SLT is that it's basically very difficult to keep students in the bubbles when we get to option subjects. So I think when you're you've got you're at your core subjects like English, maths and science, um, you can keep students relatively consistent in, in a small group. Um, however, is that as soon as you get to an option subject, that whole that everything falls apart. You know, you could be with your French group one day, but then that group who does French might have very different other options. They might be in very different math sets. They might be in very different English sets and all that sort of stuff. So all of a sudden you've got this really big kind of logistical problem. And so year 10s, how much have you managed to get them in? Um, Yeah, so year 10s. um, So I only know like a limited amount because I haven't been in with year 10s. I've been kind of like, Isham, take all the year 12s. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do that. Um, (laughs) You know, I quite enjoy it. But um from my understanding like the year 12s they've gone for a really interesting system which is basically like a tutorial style system almost like it's very small groups five six students in a bubble um and they're kind of paired with they're paired in a bubble and they're taught their core subjects for a couple of hours a day and then they do their kind of online provision for their other subjects at, at 
at school as well. So right. they're provides while doing that. Um, so, so are they in school full time then? Or have you got half and half or something? Um, so there's a mix of some come in some days. So they're not all going in on the same day. Right. Uh, so you've got, you know, any given day you'll have a decent chunk of your 10 students, but you won't see all of your 10 students there. If that makes sense. So I understand you're moving to a new school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, what what a difficult time it must have been, like looking for jobs and applying for new jobs. Was, was that all done during the coronavirus period or was this all arranged before then? Well, I started, I kind of knew at the start of this year that I was looking to move. Like I've been at Weedy Park for, you know, I joined as a, like my first year as a PhD student there. Um, when the current year 11s were in year seven. So that's kind of where I've, where I've been. And I've been at school ever since. Um, so I was kind of like, well, you know, I've kind of got up to this kind of position where I am. Um, I kind of want a different scenario. I want to maybe think about trying to get promotion. I mean, to be honest, I was actually really looking for private schools. So I, I, I started this year. I was like, I wanted to go to teach in a private school mm. um, for various reasons. And, you know, as the year went through, like I applied for different um, positions and I got through to interview a couple of times. And, just, you know, it was the sort of thing where it wasn't really good fit. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's the most bizarre things. Like I was going to an interview like in February when it was all kind of starting to feel a bit, you know, yeah. feb- febrile, febrile, whatever. <laughs> so it, it was quite odd. But um I as I kind of went through the year, I kind of went, OK, well, maybe private schools aren't my right fit. Like I'm going to them not feeling like this is the right place for my teaching and learning style and what I really want to do as a teacher. Um, and so I started kind of broadening my horizons a little bit. And I saw this post with the director of learning for mathematics at Rugby Free Secondary School. Um, and it's offset report. Like it is, is it's inadequate. It's, in, it's kind of it was rated inadequate, but like obviously there's way more to a school than just this Ofsted. So I, yeah. I did dug a bit deeper, um, and kind of like the follow up inspection was like, you know, it's doing really good things. Like the the leadership is really like new leadership in the school is really revamped. Um, so I sent an application in. I was like, well, at the very least I get to sort of see the school, <laughs> and meet the staff, <laughs> um, which obviously did not happen. But, um, <laughs> I did get to finally meet uh, the, te- the head teacher and the current head of maths, who's going to be my line manager next year, um, via video course. I did a video interview, um, which was very, very bizarre. Right. So have you met anyone from the school in person yet or has it all been on video? No, it's been it's all been on video. And, it, the, you know, it's one of the th- strange things is, um, you know, I've had team meetings. I've done a social with my new department <laughs> all online. I've hired a member of my department online. I've actually made two appointments. Um, like I, I've basically wow. promoted an existing member of my team online. Like in the first week or something, <laughs> I was basically tasked with having interviews with uh, to find a deputy director of maths. Um, and then just a couple of weeks ago, we managed to hire this brilliant um, teacher, this brilliant NQT, um, to join our team next year as well. So that's been fantastic, but also right. incredibly odd. <laughs> Yeah, I bet, I bet. So it sounds like an exciting move. Yeah, no, it's, I'm really excited. There's just, it's, I think it's something that's just so full of opportunity. Um, my wife keeps saying how invigorated I, I am, um, by it. So I've just taken a real, um, I, I don't know, I just feel quite inspired by it. I think there's a lot of 
potential there to make yeah. something absolutely great do you want to tell me about your curriculum plans for september i mean I'm, <laughs> that must have been quite difficult to put together not knowing what had been done online and that sort of thing so do you do you want to talk yeah. me through the process of how on earth you start <laughs> doing that well if you could tell me <laughs> that'd be great um i mean i think so i think it's interesting I think the thing is, I've got like an academic sense of what the curriculum is there, right? For maths, I know what the scheme of learning is. I know um, roughly kind of what things they've done over the last few weeks and months. Um, but that said, it's relatively useless knowledge, I think, because unless I've actually been in there, then I don't really know what the uptake's actually been like across different classes. Mm. Um, and it's kind of too much to be able to kind of dip in and really sort of go, well, okay, well, how, you know, how many students have done this work and how many students have done that work? I mean, in some cases, the data just isn't there. Like, I just don't know. Mm. And even if you do have the data, like, say they're doing some sort of um, online task where you got the scores back. I mean, do they cheat? How much of it do they remember? Did they do it? Did their friend do it for them? Did their mum do it for them? Like, yeah. you know, we, you, you just don't know what that information actually means properly. Mm. And so when I was thinking about it um, for September, and it's, I've been hearing a lot of things about recovery curriculum and all this sort of stuff. And I think, you know, schools have to do the th best thing for them in, that, in their context. But in my mind, the schools that are going to do the best out of this aren't necessarily the schools that focus on just rejigging their entire curriculum and trying to second guess what the students have done, haven't done, have learned, haven't learned. Mm. I think it's going to be up to the departments to go, well, how do we understand, how do we get that information out of them? Like, how do we question our classes and make an assessment on a class by class, pupil by pupil basis as to what they've actually learned that we can actually use for future learning as opposed to kind of going, well, uh, you know, most of them got 60% on that assignment. That's kind of good enough. We'll kind of move on and assume they'd know it. Mm. And actually, you know what? Like, that kind of brings the discussion to something like, this is basically just good teaching. It's basically just really good assessment, right? It's really good formative assessment. Right. Um, just eliciting students' understanding of prior topics. And so my focus kind of then went, well, if I focus on the curriculum, maybe it's not the right area to think about. Maybe there's some adjustments we need to make. But the big focus for me developing my team is to develop my team so that they are really rock solid on their formative assessment of prior topics. Like, are they for every single class, for every single topic they're doing, assessing all the prior knowledge they need to be successful for that future topic? And if at any point they decide actually the class isn't there yet on the prior knowledge, then they they, they stop either the lesson and they change the lesson to to address that or they go okay well we're going to you know we can maybe model out this lesson fine but I'm going to come back to this topic next lesson and we're going to address it then. I've been reading your blog and particularly I've been looking at the post that you wrote about uh, being a BAME teacher and um, I'm interested to know if you've got any thoughts on on that to, that are particularly relevant to math teachers. Yeah I think I think the big thing is it's very contextually driven like if the problem like I think a part of the problem when we're talking about race is the generalities of it right like it's different for different kids it's different for different schools it's different for different teachers like I'm by and large imagine if you went to talk to 
the vast, vast, vast majority of teachers in the UK, then, you know, I think they all want to do right by their kids, right? So, like, you know, this is not a profession we're in for the big bucks. Um, we're in it to help them to change lives for the better. And I really believe that most teachers want to do better by students, whatever their race and whatever their colour is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also, we also, I think, you know, Look at looking at sort of teachers' pasts, their their own past experiences. Like it might just be that they just don't notice like their own implicit biases when it might come to race. Um, it might just be they they don't really know how to talk about it or how to navigate it because it's something I think when it comes up, it's just very you know no one wants to have that conversation. If if someone kind of you know goes oh let's talk about race, then I think everyone's initial instinct is to head for the nearest exit as soon as possible, you know, because it's very uncomfortable. Um, and I think it comes with very strong connotations of you're a bad person or you're a good person and all that rest of it. How 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 school navigates that, I think, is beyond the maths department. I think it's, it's a school-wide thing. But I think as a head of maths, the most important thing to do is just be really objective in data and just be aware of anything that might be happening um, amongst teachers and you know as a, as, as a head if you any head of parts are, are listening it's just by like doing learning walks if there's if there's a class that's largely um BAME students um or you see that BAME students are a lot making a disproportionate amount of your lower sets maybe just sort of stop and you know really consider the evidence that you have um just go well is there is there a reason for this apart from you know home factors and everything else like what are we are we doing something wrong here and i think that's a perfectly fine question to ask oneself um and it's an important question to ask oneself um and if the answer is oh we've actually there's actually an implicit bias here or there's something going on um that we're missing then that's important to pick up and address and if there's nothing like it might well just be that it's just the way it is like there's just a, the randomness to it then that's okay too, but at least you've looked into it and you've kind of got the evidence and you've assured yourself. Like my dad is Sudanese, right? So my dad is, you know, North African and, you know, would threaten me to go back to Khartoum any sort of time. <laughs> 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 you know, it's, 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 it's no nonsense, proper, proper work ethic. Put your bum on your seat till it goes numb and work some more. Sort of thing. <laughs> and that's definitely, that's definitely, a, you know, it, from his experience from his life in, in Khartoum, if he didn't do that, then you'd be out on the streets. Like, it comes from that place for him. Right. Like, didn't work hard. Like, you know, there's nothing There's nothing there for you. Like, there's mm. no one to pick up. Um, but that's also not necessarily true for all BAME cultures, you know. Yeah. And lots of parents, lots of people in BAME position, in BAME, from BAME backgrounds, are living in very difficult socioeconomic groups with very difficult challenges lots of parents don't have the time or the know-how to navigate a school's administrative policies to sort of um, advocate for their child very well yeah. if their child's getting lots of detentions they might not know how to meaningfully engage with the school to have that conversation in a reconstructive way whereas a you know if you want to think about it a very middle class person you know regardless of race but you know maybe white um, would be able to go, well, I'm going to talk to this teacher, then I'm going to escalate to that teacher, and if that's not working, I know where to go. Mm-hmm. They might not have institutional knowledge. Um, so it's about thinking about, about the student's background themselves and going, well, as a school, as a maths teacher, how can I get around that? 
I know you're pretty active on in the online math CPD community these days. Um, do you want to tell me how you got involved in that and um, and what you get from it as well? Yeah. Um, Has that been a new thing since lockdown, actually? Or have you always been involved? Yeah, so that's an interesting one. Um, I've actually um, been following like math CPD. I think it starts with Craig Larson and Joe Morgan. Um, they're absolute heroes of mine because they've saved me between them hours of my of my life. <laughs> um, but they have, you know, like I was following on my kind of personal Twitter account for a long time and I never engaged with anything. I just felt like I wasn't smart enough and just didn't know enough about teaching and no one was caring really what I had to say, to be honest. Um, and so I spent a long, long time following and kind of looking at all the activities and things coming up and looking at some of the debates coming up in teaching. So like for a lot of it, it was stuff like tradition. I think when I started with lots of traditional versus progressive still, that sort of thing. I never decided that you had to be one or the other, right? You're either, you're either at the front telling the kids exactly how it is, or you're, uh, you know, there's no teaching and you just kind of stood around and threw volleyballs at them or whatever, you know, like, it, <laughs> that was a big debate when I think I started. Um, and I just learned a lot by just reading, even just in small snippets, what these really uh, powerful maths educators had to say. When it came to lockdown, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to start. I'm just going to jump in here. Um, and my hair was terrible, so I made a bitmoji of myself to, <laughs> to try and make myself look less um, less haggard than I really am. And you know, I went, oh, you know, I'm just going to start replying to people and liking things. And I didn't really know how to get started. So I started off only really kind of following, again, Craig Barton and Joe Morgan. But then I started just following random teachers and, you know, getting linked into things. And then I just started commenting on things, you know, just going, oh, that looks really good. Thanks for sharing and all this. And little by little, I actually started getting in deeper into that community. And it's really lovely. Like, it's just so um everyone's pulling in the same direction like what when is what's interesting is when there's disagreements between mathematicians on twitter or whatever then it's not it's very usually very professional right there's usually like okay i disagree this is why i disagree and there's no kind of like there's no personal bent on it right no one's out to sort of attack anyone else um unfortunately it does happen ever so often but like generally everything's really civil and through that sort of discourse and those that general kind of discussion that people have, there's just there's just a lot of richness there. I learn a lot about maths and the different ways and styles and why certain approaches are taken in some schools and certain approaches are taken in other schools. As well as like linking me to like extra reading, like I've read like six or seven books, <laughs> something in lockdown, something crazy, um, you know, and I've learned huge amounts from it. So have you had more time for CPD in lockdown then? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. Then that's been a really nice part, sort of part of it. Obviously, it's been gutting not getting to 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 see my class and teach. Mm. Um, and obviously, I've got a very young child who's who's currently just an absolute whirlwind of destruction. <laughs> but it's really been nice to be able to have a bit of time, even like at lunch times or just during the just during the day around the bits and bobs, just to like crack open a book and read. I don't know, like 10 minutes of this book or 10 minutes of that book. Yeah. And I think actually that's something I really want to continue beyond lockdown. I think we're, I really want to make time for it. And it's something that's feeding into my vision for the department for us to be a learning department. There are, we always work to um, make sure that we are spending a bit of time in CPT. Sorry, there's some dogs outside. No, that's all right. Don't worry. Um, 
Yeah, so I've, yeah, I've spent quite a lot of time on CPD. And I think it's, it's something that in an ideal world, there would be time for in the normal school year, you know, like beyond inset sessions and everything. There'd be time in sort of people's timetables just to do a little bit of um, their own CPD and stuff. And I think yeah. as head of maths, my challenge is how do I make sure we can do that in a way that isn't necessarily meaning that people have to eat, sleep and dream maths all the time because they've obviously got lives outside of school, funnily yeah, enough. Yeah. So do you think that's part of what has um has given you the reinvigoration that your that your wife's commented on? <laughs> as well as the moving school, that the uh chance to engage in more C P D. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Twitter is really good because it lets you just do that in like tiny little bits. Like you'll get a bit here and a bit there and a bit of this and it's great because you get lots of little fragmented pictures. But I suppose the problem with it is that it is exactly that. It's fragmented. It's a fragmented picture of a, of a larger conversation, of a larger, deeper argument. So, you know, you can get into it about formative assessment, but there's only so much you can say about formative assessment in a 140 word um, tweet or whatever. Mm. Um, so um yeah i think in terms of reading those books one thing that i remember from my pc year was that it was so like the books that i was recommended i picked one up and i've actually got it and I, apologize, I know it's a podcast but i'm going to show it to you now <laughs> like it's a really good one it's um aspects of teaching secondary mathematics yeah by linda haggerty now it's a great book i strongly recommend it it's got brilliant writers in there including ann watson and some really great takeaways. But if you look at the book, it's a, it's a pink book with like slightly lighter pink shades, and you open it, and it's just this like tome. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's impenetrable, and it's very intimidating for someone who's particularly new to the classroom and has never doesn't have the confidence in the classroom yet to properly understand and synthesize. And what really struck me about a lot of the more contemporary literature um, that's coming out. Um, particularly like the Craig Barton books or even like Dylan William embedded formative assessments um, is that it's written in a style where which is very much like look here's the theory but here's how you can use it in the classroom and it's suddenly really practical and you can make sense of it really quickly without having to spend ages slogging over maybe a paragraph because they've kind of done that bit working for you instead if you see what I mean yeah yeah brilliant okay um so top book that you'd recommend to your NQT maybe um so I've actually <laughs> I've actually decided I, I don't know if it sounds very daft but it sounds the head department that any new member of my department needs to read um how I wish I taught that like I think that's it's so good like there's just so many I was reading it and literally every page I was like well I'm, I've done that wrong and I need to do this <laughs> now I've done this wrong and but I think it's really nice because it just it is so practical and also importantly as a department it gives you a shared vocabulary so you can start talking specifically about things like well let's talk about your example problem pairs or let's talk about use of diagnostic questions or and it, if you have that shared vocabulary if you can talk about your teaching in a really specific way that makes it easier to do that development um, because everyone knows what you're talking about rather than you know, you having you saying one thing and the person you're talking to thinking you're talking about something slightly different, if you know what I mean. OK, well, thank you so much for talking to us, Hisham. It's been it's been really, really interesting. And for rounding up our series of um, the podcast covering the school closure period. And thank you also to our listeners throughout this period. At this point in the summer, we're being told and hoping that all children will be back in school come September.
and I'm sure there'll be a new story to be told about recovering from this period. No doubt we'll continue to record podcasts, though their flavour has yet to be determined. So until September, I'd like to take the opportunity to wish you all and Hisham a long and restful summer, ready for a strong start in September. And I'd like to wish you, Hisham, all the best in your new school in September.